Greetings, Trinitarians. This podcast is possible partly because of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary in Evansville, Indiana. If you're interested in beginning your theological academic journey at Trinity, contact us at trinitysem, that's trinitysem.edu today. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me today is... Jonathan Pritchett. As always, and we are today going to be talking about apologists and, I suppose, what's awful about them. So It's here's not heresy. It's... Come on, no, it's Harris' son. Wow! They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, uh, this is... I... I, I was... not impressed. <laughs> I, I've never heard of this gentleman before, but... And there is no evidence at all, except in the imagination of Dr. Braxton and like-minded thinkers, that there is such a thing as an objective morality. All right, well, that was a very passionate speech by Professor Alvarez. However, let me point out a couple of things that I have not argued tonight that Professor Alvarez seems to think that I have argued. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. On behalf of humanity, God became man to die for the sin of the world. Then, because of that sacrifice, you can rise from the dead just like he rose from the dead. Well, uh, there's a lot of awful things you can say about apologists, but I don't think that they're entirely awful. Uh, apologists are some of my favorite people. Right. We're apologists, so yeah. maybe that's proof that they're awful. I don't know. No, I actually, to kick it off, I have actually found in my limited experience that, uh, I don't know why I said limited, in my vast experience dealing with church people, uh, evangelists, preachers, missionaries, and apologists. It's your feigned humility. I find that apologists oftentimes, and I'm not, I'm not putting myself in this category because I've been all or most of those things, but they're oftentimes quite humble. I think it's because in doing all the academic stuff, they've come to realize how much they don't know. Yeah. And so I found them to be very... Now, there's certain kinds of apologists that yeah. this may not be true of, but... Um, we won't go down that road. This is your show to be. Yeah, I've, to I've said it plenty of times. You're talking about presuppositionalists. I didn't say that. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. I know, but I know you well enough to know that that's what you're talking well, you about. You don't know what I'm. You don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> Just own it. You don't um, know me. Yeah, we like uh, parts of presuppositional uh, apologetics, but a lot of not all, but a lot of presuppositional apologists are. We've said that many times are, are problematic. But that's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about today is apologists and uh, what they're doing and how they're trying to reach the culture and whether or not it's working. Uh, recently, I wrote a journal article for the Journal of the Ecclesia Scholar Society, which if you are not a member, you need to become a member. It's $25. You get two free books for signing up. Uh, it's a really awesome group, and uh, they put out a journal twice a year. And so I wrote a... I wrote an article discussing the, the priorities of working apologists, whether professional or amateur or whatever, and what seems to be the majority of their focus. Um, and, and I was wondering, uh, the, the question I was asking in my article, is it, is it the proper focus? And I'm, I, I say no. You actually disagree, and you say, yeah, they're, what they're doing is right. So we wanted to talk about that. People want us to argue anyway, so... Yeah. So let me. So because I don't know, I read your article, but <laughs> no, you for this, didn't. no, I did. I read the article. Uh, are, so your your point here today, though, is apologists are focusing on the wrong people group, uh, and the uh, majority of apologists. Right. There, too are many apologists on are working group. on too small of, of um, uh, people groups and, and problems in apologetics that I think miss. Uh, we can. You've said it before. A lot of people said it before that. Whether or not this is a golden age of apologetics, people have referred to it as a golden age of apologetics. Well, it's in a golden age in terms of resources on offer. That's what I say. Right. But there are more resources right, and I, than ever and before. I, yes. And, and there are more ap working apologists, professional and amateur, uh, than probably ever before, too. Yeah, I'd say the At least in, done that for us. Yeah. Um, and, and so the question I, I want to ask is how is that going? And I don't think it's really going anywhere. Uh, 
you talk to Christian apologists all the time, uh, and I've talked to them, and I, I say, so what, what kind of apologetics are you doing in your church? And many of them will say, nobody's interested in hearing me talk about apologetics in church. Um, weirdly enough, we've never found that to be true, because if you do an apologetics thing, a lot of people show up. Mm -hmm. uh, but maybe you're just way more awesome and you need to tell us the secret sauce, because I hear from apologists that their pastors don't let them teach this stuff in the church or, or don't give them opportunities, or if they are the pastor of the church even, uh, th their congregations don't seem to be terribly interested in it. Now, that's not most... Uh, I mean, that's not all churches, but that seems to be a lot of churches are just simply not interested in hearing about apologetics, at least if apologists are to be believed. Cause we always... Well, I think, that's, I think there's truth in that. Yeah. I think a, another piece of it is <clears throat> they like hearing about it, just like I might enjoy watching... Well, not me. I, I would really be interested in this, but they're interested in hearing about it like some people are interested in watching Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about the physics of the universe or whatever on a, on the cosmos. You know, they, they want to be entertained by it and assured in their faith, like, oh yeah, see, that guy knows, so I can feel good about being a Christian. Yeah. You know, and, and whenever I run into somebody and say, hey, you go talk to him, he knows. But uh, they're not necessarily interested in learning it themselves. Right. And maybe the presentations that some apologists give leave them with the impression that they can't. And I have research that says that in my book, uh, Evangelistic Apologetics. That, that people are not... Well, I have ministry leaders cited as saying uh, people think these books are too big, these are too topics are too complicated. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that's, that's pretty much what you hear from apologists on the streets when they talk about their frustrations about not being able to, um, to, to I, I guess, get their ministries anywhere further than online discussions and, and whatever which leads to a certain uh, demographic of the population that wants to argue this stuff all day long, whether they're Christians or atheists or whatever. But research data shows that that's not even most people. But if you look at the... We get... Uh, having been through an apologetics degree program and then having getting catalogs sent to me from publishers who want me to assign their books and they send us desk copies, and they send us review copies, and they say, it was stuff we don't even ask for. Please, please read this and like it so that you'll help us sell books to your student. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. So we know what literature is out there, you know. You can just look at the, all the publisher's catalogs. And overwhelmingly, see, I can tell you're bored because you're already... No, my phone went yeah. off. I'm trying to turn the volume <laughs> off on my phone. No, see, when I get bored, I, I start looking at Facebook while you're talking. So I know. Yeah. Um, but, it's very insulting. Yeah. No, it, it's, I know what you're going to say. I'm so di I'm one of these church people that's so disinterested in apologetics. <laughs> right. I don't even care you hear you talk about how people are disinterested in apologetics. Right. You want to know some people real quick that are interested in apologetics? Yeah. Rodney Tucker, Jeremy Lee, Austin Long, William Schroeder, Steve Fraley, Josh Stribling, uh, Annette Burns, Paul Wayne Sims, Anonymous, Robert Gillier, Billy Wendelin, Armin Jacob Paulson, Johnny Miller Jr., Brian McNulty, Alex Harden, Kendra Buck, Alan Atchison, Ian Buchanan, Brian Roden, Eleanor Meadows, Kurt Jaros, Ernest George Strauss III, Scott McCauley, Joshua James, Roberts, Abe Alam, Brandon Nicholson, Boydria Gonzalez, Benjamin Fogler, Austin Eakin, Second Yang, Jonah Krylo, and Xavier German, brand new last night. Wow, the coolest people on the planet because they think what we do is matters worth something. Yeah, and actually, I said those people are interested in apologetics. Yeah, half of them are more interested in theology. So, right. Yeah. Whatever. But uh, well, we're going to be talking about theology. Your theory, a lot this just, just, just okay. First of all, yes. Last season, I have a lot going on this season. Some of which I'm not prepared to tell you yet. That's kind of big news. Another thing I am prepared to tell you is that my proposal was accepted since I last spoke to you. Um, uh, for my DMN program, uh, I'm working on a second doctorate. I did evangelistic apologetics already, and now I'm doing uh, discipleship. You and Ronnie Tucker, the, the, I want a, and your dad, uh, yeah. second doctorate. Yeah, well, it must I, be a thing. I, well, I, I want to do discipleship apologetics, mm -hmm. and it's I think it's good to do that under the under the umbrella of two or three other scholars who can make sure that I'm I'm doing it right. And so I'm I'm going to have discipleship apologetics to pair with. So you're getting the demon to prove that you're not a stuffy ivory tower academic because this building is literally ivory. 
well, at least I, in color. <laughs> I want, I want. It's probably got some ivory. In it. I, no, yeah. no, that's not. That's not it. I don't. I don't think. I mean, I, I'd be flattered if someone thought I was ivory tower. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that I am. But what I want is the same thing I want for Trinity. I want to embody what I want Trinity to be, yeah. which is, uh, as you just said in a degree programs video we're pushing out this week. Um, I want to know all the ivory tower stuff. But I, I want to be able to be practical and use it for ministry. Right. So the PhD and the D-men, that, I think, will reflect that. Yeah. So anyway, back to the, the issue at hand. Oh, yeah. And I was going to say, yeah. because I have so much going on this, this fall, whereas last season on Trinity Radio, a lot of the, at least all the Wyma episodes, all but one, were based on stuff that I teach from classes here at yeah. Trinity. And so I was doing a lot of the PowerPoint stuff, and Pritchett was kind of riffing on what I was saying. And it's going to be the reverse this season because I have to focus on other things. He's yes. going to do the show prep. Now, I right, will say write it classically... Down. I show prep today. Write it down. I'm actually putting in effort now. Yeah, and classically, that's not gone well, but we'll hope that it does this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every time I rise to the occasion, our shows don't get anybody who cares about them. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, Is that what you're trying to say? Well, I wouldn't say it as bluntly as that, but yeah. I mean, yeah, of course that's so. Prepare to be bored is what he's saying. <laughs> no, prepare to be bored. Our viewers. There's nothing boring about you. Uh, There's, the, the, I th- I think that most of the reason people watch our show, I think they're less interested in what we're talking about and more interested in hearing us talk. And I don't mind admitting, probably sad? mostly in, interested in listening to no, you say snarky no. things. No. Uh, be- believe me, uh, I, I just here recently, I feel like I'm growing because th- there's so many snarky things I want to say right now about certain things that I've refrained from doing. That's we'll stop that's that. Growth. That's not good for ratings, right? But <laughs> but my wife, the says squeaky, that it you know, the old petty. adage, you know how yeah. it goes the squeaky wheel gets the most hits. That's what that's how that goes. Okay, the squeaky wheel gets the ratings. Well, anyway, Pew Research has shown. That seventy-eight percent of the U.S. So I'm gonna, what is Pew Research? Huh? What is that? They do polling and, and are they a Christian organization? No, or no, no? I mean, no. They're secular. Yeah. Okay. Barna's more the and, and, I knew and Barna's research. Yeah, yeah. Are, are are interested mostly. In, well, the reason I ask is because I was just last night listening to a, an atheist bemoaning the low number of atheists and skeptics uh, that are play, like it's always like. Two or five percent, or something like that. Yeah, and they're like, "No, that's absolutely bogus. It's these Christian uh, research institutions no, that wrong. skew the data." No, wrong. Um, that's what you call teeing someone up. Yeah, uh, wrong. Seventy-eight percent of, of of and basically, my article dealt with U.S. culture because things are a lot different in the U.K. and, and other places in the West. So, uh, I basically, de- but most of the apologetics are coming out of the U.S. evangelical industrial complex. <clears throat> so. Uh, that's what I was basically talking about. And uh, 78% of uh, people in the U.S. still identify as Christians, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, if you put atheists and agnostics and other types of skeptics, if you put them in the bucket, they come up to about uh, 5%, okay? okay? If you take everyone of other religions mm-hmm. and put them in a bucket, they come up to about... Five to seven percent. Really? Is that right? Yeah, Muslims are one percent of the U.S. population. Okay. And so you have about between ten and twelve percent of these people who identify as nuns. Now, what's interesting about these nuns is that sometimes they're atheists who believe in God and heaven, and sometimes I thought nuns were Catholic. Nuns? No, the N O N E. Yeah. <laughs> Dumb preacher joke. What is this? The Synergist podcast now? We're hey, doing dumb preacher it jokes? It was a dumb dad joke, and my dad was on here a couple of weeks ago, and someone put in the YouTube comments that it was the greatest episode in podcast history of Absolutely, any show. Absolutely, because and Harold Hunter was And you were barely on hanging on to your seat the whole time. Uh, yeah, I'm sitting next <laughs> to Harold Hunter. Everyone uh, would barely... Right. You think you could do better? I, I, Let's have no, him on again I, and let you sit there with your dad. I had and, him on, on the same subject yeah. two years ago, and I did interject more, but that... That that shakes out to he's my dad and I'm more comfortable around him and I'm more comfortable interrupting him than you probably are. Well, you no, I, I, I unlike you, I don't think that what I had to say is as worth hearing as what your dad has to say. You oh, think, I didn't think what I had you to say. think what you have I was to say is, is I was like, here's what they say. What do you do with that? Yeah, well, here's what they say about John the Baptist and uh, all that. What do you what do you do with that? 
Well, yeah, you that's what you do. See, what I did was I backed up everything your dad said with other New Testament scholars who agree with him. So, And then he would tell you, nope, they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, well, I'm trying to say they agree with you. Nope, they don't. <laughs> it, it, right? Didn't that it, happen at least it, once? Yeah. Uh, well, because your dad nuances things differently well, than sure. they want to nuance it. He was right. Yeah. Okay. So anyway. What are we talking about? Apologists. And so you How are they doing it wrong? I think too much of apologetic efforts are spent focusing on the smallest groups of people. And then apologists wonder why church folk don't think that apologetics is relevant to either their evangelism or their own discipleship. And I think it's because they don't, they don't relate to uh, what apologists are overwhelmingly doing versus what they should be doing. And I do show data that when, when questions that... that come up in the culture, both inside the church and outside of the church. Mm-hmm. And I use the Da Vinci Code, in a footnote, I use the Da Vinci Code as, a, as an example of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, biblical scholars are actually answering more of the questions that normal people have than people who brand themselves as apologists. And when the Da Vinci Code came out, a lot of people had questions about the Bible and, and non-canonical Gnostic Gospels and everything else, Right. And it was Ben Witherington and Daryl Bach, and, and uh, sure, Josh McDowell got in on the action too, but even Bart Ehrman, who's not a Christian, decided he wanted to write a, here's what's bogus about this kind of thing. I mean, it's like, number one, that's just evangelical publishers wanting to cash in. We know what that is. But, you know, it, that was one of those examples where, where people in the church were talking about this stuff, people who are not believers were talking about this stuff, and everybody wanted to know, what's the deal with this? And, it, and, and so there's things like that that happen. Uh, when I talk to people both inside the church and outside the church, they, they want to know what, like Michael Kona, I think, picked up on this, and that's why he started de- dealing, why are the differences in the gospel? That's an inside the church issue that people talk about and they want to know. That's outside the issue. That's why Paul Copan wants to talk about why is God a moral monster. So apologists are kind of picking up on this that most questions in apologetics, for oh. most normal people, problem solved, revolve yeah. around the Bible. Well, then problem solved. Well, but show's over. The problem <laughs> isn't solved because I think there's not enough of that, and there's way too much people dealing with um, atheists and skeptics. The, the overwhelming number of apologetics books are proving God exists when ninety-five percent of the people like in what? the United Give States. Give me an example uh, of a book like that. Okay, well, you have Scaling the Secular City. You have Reasonable Faith. You have Core Facts, the first half of it, right? Uh, of Core Facts, mm-hmm. uh, Competent Christianity is probably mm-hmm. like you know uh, most of William Lane Craig's books. Um, most of the popular apologists. Okay, so let me dealing with it. Are you, will it make you insecure if I press back a little bit? Yes, but go it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, so. So reasonable faith, all these books you just mentioned. Reasonable faith, and well, then every on, apologist who took reasonable faith well, hold on. and made their own version of reasonable faith, okay, well, hold which on. is most apologists' signature book, is a reasonable faith knockoff. Well, my book, I began writing core facts before On Guard ever came out, and I will admit that there's uh, the, the arguments that I use are the ones that, some of the ones that Craig uses in reasonable faith. The problem was... Uh, I think that the problem is I didn't have a book to recommend people that was on a level that novices in apologetics could pick it up and read it and understand what in the world is being said. Yeah, but you did this as a teaching tool, not necessarily as a uh, a straightforward, here's proof that God exists. No, I, well, yeah, I, I say it's, it's that with it's a, for evangelism and stuff, right. but it's in a lot of ways what On Guard is. Right. Uh, but I release this because, and I don't think On Guard does this right. I, I love William Craig, but I, I don't think it's simplistic enough. I don't think it's bottom shelf enough for, for a lot of people to pick it up and read it yeah. and understand it and go with it. And so I'm looking around and, 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 and I'm seeing these apologetics books that are out there and I'm like, if I hand one of these, because I just finished Evangelistic Apologetics as a project, and I'm like, if I hand one of these books that we always think of to a layperson uh, with minimal education, they're not going to get past the first like chapter. Like minimal as in minimal as in like, oh, like theological training and well, philosophy. Well, okay, and... okay, fine. Uh, whatever. But the point is, 
someone who's not initiated in big academic works of any kind, for, for example. So somebody got a high school education, never went to college, and never studied autodidactically. Okay. Um, or uh, a 14-year-old, for example. Or an older person who didn't even go to high school. Didn't you know? I wanted someone who anyone could pick this up, and if they wanted to, if they were willing to try at all, they could understand what was being said. Yeah. And I think in that regard, it's successful. Now, it's not successful in making people care, but I don't think you can make people care because they have libertarian freedom. So, <laughs> uh, so that, but but here's the thing. Let me push back on this. So, all these books are like Reasonable Faith or like On Guard or Core Facts or whatever. They're all giving you a classical now, case. Like I said, the overwhelming number of apologists, the overwhelming number of debates by apologists. Right. I'm with you. You know, I got you. And I'm, then I would think that like Islam. Comes I don't second. think. Yeah, yeah, I don't think yeah. I'm going where you think I'm going with this. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Give me a worldview that the material in a classical case. Let's just take Craig's three arguments, experience, and the resurrection case. Give me a worldview that that classical case, those arguments that he will use in a debate against an atheist. Uh, give me a worldview, and I'll tell you how that classical case addresses it. No, I understand what, where you're going with that. You've, you've shown that in the Wyma series, too. Okay. How, how these classical arguments also can Well, be... let me show them real quick. Okay. So, okay, you got... Um, so you, you want to go with uh, uh, Mormonism. Okay, well, uh, the Kalam cosmological argument serves well to show that you have one God who is the beginning and time is not uh, an infinite regress, right? right? So it handles that. It also handles Mormonism... Uh, well, it, it handles uh, Hinduism with some of those same cosmological things, but also the resurrection case shows that you can say what you want about all, how all these things are incarnations of whatever, but the fact is the resurrection case kind of overturns that, and then Jesus' claims attached to the resurrection case. I'm curious, has Mormon apologists jumped on the multiverse theory as, you know... Uh, Hindu apologists have. Okay, because I'm but wondering I, if Mormons are like, yeah, not only is there an infinite regress... Uh, I'd say it would be hospitable. There's an infinite regress of gods and an infinite number of cosmoses. Yeah, they could say you know, that. I'm wondering if they've actually... I don't know if they say that, but they, they could say that. Um, what what else do we want to look at? Yeah, Judaism, okay, the resurrection handles that. Um, Islam, the yeah, resurrection Yeah, but the resurrection of Jesus, I mean, I'll put that... Uh, but that's part of a classical case. Well... It's an evidentialist case that's tacked on to classical arguments. Well, uh, I'm just saying, formally, that, what if I'm we, saying, with the whole package, yeah. you get responses to everything, just about. Not everything, but just about everything. But if you're sitting in a Sunday school class, why is this gospel different than that gospel? If you're sitting in the Sunday school class, why are there this many horses and stables and kings and this many? In I mean, you know, you sit in Sunday school class, and the questions that, that like, normal people ask are not, how do you know God exists? So are you saying you know, that you're not, that when you say you not know, the minimal or like the, the minority of people in the U.S. that need apologetics, uh, you're saying Christianity is really the group that they ought to be focusing on? No, I'm saying that, uh, I, well, yeah, uh, that's why you're doing a project on discipleship apologetics. I was going to say, this would be uh, great. Give me a quote uh, for the book. Yeah, um, Absolutely, that's that's part of it. I think apologetics as a, as a function of disciple. We've already made the case that it should be a function of evangelism, mm -hmm. uh, and it, and I agree with you that it needs to be a function of discipleship. Um, but even if if you're talking about most of what you're going to need to do is just evangelize. Period. Because seventy eight percent of people identify as Christian, but I doubt seventy eight percent of the United States population are what evangelicals <clears throat> would born-again true believers, right, right, right. right? They just identify culturally as Christian, right. okay? So, you know, if, if you're looking at 20-some-odd um, uh, percent, handful, 5% of those are, uh, you put them in a bucket, those are the skeptics and stuff, 5% are um, all these Hindus and Muslims and Wiccans and everyone else, you know? Um, if you want to be an apologist working in a church in the United States, what are you going to have to address the concerns of the people that you're likely to meet on the street? And I don't think that, and 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 um, I do want to say that that a lot of people have picked up on this. And so you've got people doing uh, urban apologetics in inner cities and things like that that are different, especially in the black church communities, because they're like, 
the William Lane Craig classical stuff is not the stuff we're answering. We're answering why do I want to believe what seems to be a white man's religion and, and things like that. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of discussion in certain communities outside of the white evangelical community of apologetics that are relevant to... I was just going to say, Christianity Today has a new article, um, Rethinking Apologetics for the Black Church. Um, Lisa Fields says, black people in the inner city need apologetics, but black people in the suburbs do too. She's just talking about kind of the point you're making, that there's a new emphasis um, in the black church on this very issue. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. I mean, there have been black apologists, African-American apologists, for a long time doing work, but... Not, but it's not been as much of a focus, right? But, di- I don't but, think. but yeah, but like if you look at let's take a prominent African American apologist, Vody Bauckham, for mm-hmm. example, they're not doing the Vody Bauckham thing, he's doing um, just mainstream presuppositional <clears throat> apologetics, right? That's this my understanding, right? So that's yes, my understanding too. And he's got a, a book, um, that was reviewed also in the recent uh. Jess, uh, Rodney Tucker reviewed his book, oh, Expository yeah? Apologetics. Yeah. Oh, great. For, for, so Did you, you like it? Huh? Do you like it, Rodney? You like it? <laughs> read his review. You got, you got I read the, the whole thing. It's been a while. <clears throat> came out like last month or something. <laughs> <laughs> I've read 20 books since then. I can't remember. Is that what I've you're saying? I've read three. <laughs> you read three. Uh, yeah. So, but I, I think that they picked up on something in, in the African-American church community uh, that I think uh, we need to pick up on as you know, oh, wait, I missed it. What? Huh? Presuppositional apologetics? No. <laughs> they're not doing that either. Yeah. That, that's what Vody Bauckham does. That's but what one, he's doing, but they're but not But when people it. think of African-American apologists, he's, he's a very prominent one, <clears throat> but that's not what this is. Cause, uh, what, are, what are you saying they picked up on that we're missing? That, the, that, that for... In the culture of the United States, at least, they've picked up on that the classical apologetics is not really answering the questions that a lot of people are asking. Mm. And I think that that's not just true in the African-American community, church community, and and, and, and the urban communities on the streets. I think that that's also just in in, um, the U.S. in general, that apologists are overwhelmingly answering criticisms and objections to this Christian faith that only a tiny few people are raising and that if you just talk to normal people who say that they're religious but not, or they're spiritual but they're not religious or whatever, the most overwhelmingly they don't need a case that God exists because they already you believe know, in I God. You know, I think that uh, uh, I think what you, they need is, you know, I think you're onto something, and I think why should I believe the Bible? I think actually, and so Craig Blomberg and other people like that that are biblical scholars are yeah. telling them why they should. Yeah, believe Yeah, that's the Bible. really what's going on Apolo- here. Yeah. you're trying to hug apologetics uh, over into your. I, I'm shilling for the yeah, <laughs> for but the here, but I, it actually department. made me think. Yeah. I think what you need to do, and I'm serious, like this of all the dumb book ideas you've got floating around. Here's the one you should write. You should write a book. You should write a a Bible contradictions book. So in this book, you could handle Bible contradictions and give it because you know what's already out there is stuff that I don't think you agree with. Like Norman Geisler's harmonizations and stuff. Yeah, where it's harmonizations and stuff, which I think you would agree. I hope you would agree that sometimes the harmonizations are the correct answer. Sometimes the answer is is like 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 Lacona does in the book you just referenced, why the differences in the gospels where he shows that they were trying to do something. There was an intentional reason why they did what could look to some people like a contradiction. But Sometimes the answer has to do with the cultural setting or something, and yeah. you could do a good job. You could do a good job with that. And I've I think got a would, lot of books to write. Well, right. yeah, but the rest of them are dumb. And this <laughs> one would be a good idea and because it's yours. It right? would be really helpful, <laughs> and uh, it would also increase your knowledge. I think of the whole Bible because you'd be going through the Bible looking at these contradictions. Well. Everyone's knowledge of the Bible needs to increase, which leads me to another thing uh, that, that I found when I was preparing this article. Uh, there was another group that did a study that said only 19% of all people in church have a biblical worldview, and only 17% of Christians in church actually... Want to learn more. Want to learn more. Oh, you remembered something. <laughs> so how about that? That's a problem, <clears throat> I think. Well, I think there's a lot of people who say, well, it, I know what basically what the Bible says, which I've argued, no, they don't. But they think <laughs> they know basically what the Bible says, 
and so as a result, they think if I were to go any further, I'd, I'd be trying to be like an expert or something. Yeah. And we've got experts for this. Now, I don't think they ever actually verbalize this or even yeah. consciously think it because I think what's going on is they think that what they would say is, oh, of course I need to know the Bible more. But yeah. I think in here, deep down somewhere, they're thinking, well, there are experts for that. And I'm not like a pastor or a Bible scholar. Right. So, yeah. But I mean, <clears throat> popular level books are written for a reason. And it seems like a lot of people do still buy books because um, uh, they otherwise... It, Zondervan and uh, uh, InterVarsity and whoever else wouldn't keep shilling out popular level works. Oh yeah, that's right? what people read. Yeah, um, why they don't read popular level apologetics, um, I don't know. Um, you've tried with Core Facts. Uh, William Lane Craig's tried with On Guard, and at one point I think they were giving away the electronic version for free because I got it that way. Um, well, in the beginning of the Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview, I was just reading the other day where Craig and Moreland are talking about, uh, they're quoting this guy who spoke at the opening of the Billy Graham Museum in Wheaton, uh, at Wheaton, and, yeah. they were, and, and he was talking about, how, and they were agreeing with him, and he was saying how America should have already been thoroughly impacted by Christian thought. He said, we've won souls, but we haven't won minds. And we need to we need to be impacting their thinking. The problem is, and Craig and Moreland go on to talk about, is people read all these fiction books. They read all these, uh, you know, uh, Christian celebrity Tim Tebow books and things like that. And they don't read, uh, largely speaking, that kind of stuff, the apologetic stuff. But if they did, they could have these conversations with coworkers and stuff. And you could have been salt and light in a way that has already impacted these nuns and these other people yeah. to the degree that we don't have the problem, at least to the degree that we do now. But instead, I think what happens, I mean, let's be realistic. What happens, I and I'm just spitballing at what I think happens, is people have lives. You know, they, they're, they're a stay-at-home mom. They're a, a, a medical doctor. They're a mechanic. They're whatever. And they, they pick up a book. They're like, I, I want to read something. But they're really wanting to read. They, they might want to learn there are people that want to learn and educate themselves, but a lot of times it's, what do I want to read? It's not, yeah. what should I want to read? It's, what do I want to read? And nobody's keeping a log of I, what I I get read. it, because because you and I have stacks of books that we have to read that we don't want to read. Yeah. And so it's... It's one of the great things about seminaries. It makes you read those. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but the, I envy those who can just read whatever they want to. Yeah. Because I have a stack of books want to read, and then a stack of books have to read for my discipline. And... and I would much rather just read only what I want to read. So I don't begrudge, you know. Right, but I think that's that. I think that's one of the reasons, yeah. one of the big reasons why. But when they, but when apologists are uh, whining on the in, uh, stating on the internet, no, it's whining that nobody cares what they think in their own churches. Even now, part of that might be the apologists themselves. Part of it might just be the subject matter. I've never had a problem talking about apologetics in a church and not getting interest. Um, so it's, but it it seems I, I did this, you know, on Facebook where you have a lot of people interested in apologetics migrate to certain groups, and so it's not a bad sample when you have these Facebook groups with thousands of people who are interested in apologetics. And you get thirty comments from thirty different people. I mean, yeah, it's anecdotal still, but they're all saying the same thing. Nobody in my church wants to hear me talk about it. Well, this. part of it is you may not know how to talk to people. And notice this. My mic keeps going further and further down as the show goes on. Hold on. See, we actually have Patreon money to buy a replacement uh, cradle. <clears throat> um, yeah, we're going to do that. But Our patrons are going to get you fixed up. Thank you, patrons, because his mic is falling. This thing, what, I've had it for... 11, 12 years. <clears throat> yeah, but it doesn't. Holds up like a champ. It doesn't look as cool. But I recorded it, many albums and hit songs that you've never heard with this thing. Well, if, they were, if they've never heard them, they weren't <laughs> hit songs. <laughs> they were a hit with my kids. Okay. Sort so of. they're the only ones who listen to them. But part of the problem is you apologists out there. Braxton thinks you're, you're you stink, may not Braxton. know how to communicate to people. I've noticed this. I've noticed this. Braxton says, don't try to be me. You're no, not that's not me. it. I think <laughs> preachers make great apologists. I think preachers make better professors. Sorry, I do. And it's because they have had to think more about the people right in front of them and how those people hear messages who don't have to be there. 
could yeah. go to another church, and they've had to think about how do they hear messages, how do I hold their interest, um, what illustrations can I think of that will make the point. Professors don't necessarily have to think about that to the degree that preachers do, and so preachers make for great apologists when they become apologists. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, Ravi Zacharias is fantastic. Why is it that lay church people know who Ravi Zacharias is? Because he's enjoyable to listen to, that's why. And he has that cool accent, but I mean, yeah. uh, that that's that's part of it too. And so, um, fake a cool accent, and maybe <laughs> someone will listen to you. No, but I think that's part of it. Another problem is why why church people is what I think happens is they'll listen to you, and we are doing a lot of anecdotal stuff, but that's because it's not really anecdotal because we're in this world. And we're in church. We're kind of the sources of some of this information. Yeah, but then you know, we get I, invited to churches like Grace Sarasota, and um, three hundred some odd people show up two nights in a row to to listen to apologists natter on about you know and ask us whatever they want. Yeah, I, I, and overwhelmingly <laughs> the 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 questions had almost nothing to do with prove God exists. Yeah, no, I disagree. I agree overwhelmingly that's true, but that's because. The second night was a bigger crowd, and the people from older generations were there. And for them, the question of God's existence was less of a pressing question. But if you'll notice, the night before when we had the young adults there, it was mostly questions about the truth of God, the truth of Christianity, resurrection, stuff like well, that. The it could truth, be a generational but not, thing. Not, well, which leads me to another point. Okay, millennials, by the time they reached young adult age, it was like... 82% had left the church, and you've heard, in, and I cited a bunch of apologetics books who cite that statistic that uh, you've heard the refrain in apologetics, 80% of our young people leave the church by the time they graduate high school. Have you, have you ever heard that? Something like that. You, I never assume those numbers are accurate. But you've heard plenty of apologists <laughs> yeah. reference that. It's yeah. like a, a I would not be surprised if someone said 98% of young people leave the church. I'd be like, okay. okay well, I've here's the statistics before. from a study uh, done... Uh, the study done. I want to say it's Harvard something uh, business for not Harvard business review. That's another. Study. This does not make for good television. It does not because you don't have my show notes up, and I can't remember these things off the top of my head. I have a terrible memory. I've said that plenty of times. Anyway, there was a study done that okay uh, that yeah actually eighty only eighteen percent of millennials um, remained in church outside of after graduating high school at young adult age. Right. Okay. Generation Z, it's 41% of young adults. 41% what? Of young adults Leave, stay, stay in church. That's what, more what than the previous? 18% of the millennial Here's your generation. Show notes. Yeah, okay. 18% of millennials stayed in church. Stayed in church. So you're saying Generation Z is doing better than that one, the yeah. millennials. Now remember, 30. What is it, 36%? What was 30? How many people attend weekly service? I can't remember. 47%. No. How many people? 39% of religious people of any kind. Okay. okay. Uh, whatever the religion. 39% of the people in the United States attend weekly services. Okay. 41% of Generation Z young adults, eight, they'd be between 18 and 21, 22. 41% of those people... But I thought you I thought you had a beef with Generation Z. No, I have a beef with millennials. Oh, okay. Millennials are these nuts. You like Generation Z, you don't yeah. like millennials. Oh, oh, way more. <clears throat> and, uh, we we got into I got into trouble on our Trinity Radio right. primetime for this. Uh, no, I don't I don't have a I don't have a beef with anybody. There's a sensitivity but what I'm right saying, now. But what I'm saying is is my it's only It's become a new sort of ism. Like bad things. Everyone to bad say anything negative about millennials. Yeah, everyone. I know, but now there are all these new people that are coming out to defend them. Yeah, and because you know, people say millennials are snowflakes and they're protesters. Well, you're saying it on a podcast, which makes you an internet bully. Yeah. Uh, well, no, that's I'm saying what, what people the typical th complaint about millennials is that they're snowflakes. They need therapy right. dogs. They can't handle right. being challenged with other people's views, right. and they protest everything and burn down cities, which they do. But well, they're young. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's not what all I'm, young people that's not my point cities. my my point is is that when forty one percent of the next generation 
you can't run around. Apologists are going to have to stop saying 80% of your young people are going to leave the church because it's now going to be somewhere around 60% of your young people. Well, isn't that good news? That is good news. I mean, does that maybe mean that apologists are being successful in impacting the culture? Apologists? No. What says who? Huh? Says who? Says me. I don't think Why? apologists have anything to do with that. You know what How do I you think? Know? Well, let's look at some, some other factors. It wouldn't be as obvious. Here's why. At a Billy Graham crusade, when you have, uh, you know, 250 people come forward at an altar call, and half of those, let's say, last 125 or something, hopefully it's more than that, and then they're in church, you can directly point to an event where you saw evidence, and now right. you can go back and look because you have contact information, and boom, evangelism, harvest evangelism is making a difference in this country, and all that sort of thing, and I don't deny it. Uh, that it was when people did it. Also, but here's but here's the thing: you wouldn't be able to see that with apologetics because there isn't some singular event. There's just apologists throwing resources out there and having debates and things like that, and putting it out on the internet so that when these people go to that well to get their atheist water, they see this yeah, and it I, impacts. I, I, them. I know that apologists would love to take credit for this increase in young people remaining in church. It would just stroke their egos. However, if apologists or if apologetics is by and large not welcome in church, not people aren't interested in church. Why think that that was what did it? What actually a lot of people think is well, more Christian kids are homeschooled now than ever before. Um, Generation Z with, with unlike, materials that are infused unlike, with apologetics. Unlike not much. Unlike uh, ask apologists if how often they get to write Sunday school curriculums. They say, yeah, I never. Do I that. thought we were talking about homeschool. Well, but homes. Homeschool's homeschool, but they also just like they they like Generation X guys. We did a good job because our kids like us because our kids are the Generation Z, and our kids actually like us. Whereas millennials don't really like the younger boomer parents. They were you know always skeptical of the boomers and all that. You know it's kind of a us versus them thing. Whereas our kids like us. Generation X kids seem to like their parents. They're entrepreneurial, a bunch of other things, and I I think that the the best apologetic for the Generation Z was kind of this hipster mentality of whatever our older cousins are, we don't want to be that, you know. Um, and maybe that's part of it. Right, and so what do they do? But I, I'm they saying, went on the internet and found me, their own answers <laughs> show me from Christian says, apologists. Show me, the, show me the evidence for that. I don't want to overstate let's, it. Let's go. I, I want to. I'll, let, I can show you correlation. We can do research. We can go ask them. We're comparing correlation to correlation. Is what's happening? I, I I don't think I'm not. The claim is not that Christian apologists Saved are having this overwhelming fifty percent more. But I do think that in an intellectual uh, society that praises the intellectual and the academic, um, having more of that stuff out there has helped. Well, but here's also and the thing. pick any Christian apologist you want and ask them to ask them. Have you received emails the flip of people side that have of that come to is Christ more malign- because of your more- work? Yeah, more Generation Z also identify as outright atheists at a larger percent than the millennials did. So there's a large number of atheist percentage. Um, it was over. It was double, di- like low double digits. Well, shoot, then we need to focus on atheists. Uh, well, my thing is, is that I think that they have a more a less relativistic worldview than the millennials did because they're they're able to decide I'm this or I'm that. Yeah. Um, but there's plenty of. Apologists focusing on atheists, uh, but I think by and large, and and you've seen this with with okay with with Eric Mason and other urban Michael Priester, uh, Trinity graduate in, in apologetics. You read his dissertation had nothing to do with does God exist or whatever. I mean, they're they're to do with the problem of evil. Yeah, problem of evil. Yeah, but they they are looking at different uh, different issues than what main you know like when you think of apologetics and the white evangelicalism, you think of William Lane Craig, you think of. Uh, J.P. Moreland and those guys, they're dealing with different stuff. Um, then you've got uh, the HBU crowd, you know, Holly Ordway, and then there's a, a guy, uh, Paul Gould, these these types that are getting into what they call cultural apologetics, mm-hmm. um, what, what people uh, snark, you know, they're a little bit snarky. They think that that's really basically just um, snooty apologetics is what they kind of call it, but... It, you know this kind of like people writing fiction books and poetry and stuff. Yeah, and and you know people like me who read the great books and say let's you know because like the the Christian 
homeschool movement is overwhelming. Let's go back to the Trivium. Let's go back to classical Christian education. Let's read the Western canon and all that stuff. And then I the think cultural all of that's great. Yeah, well, all of that's great too. Why are we picking too. and choosing? I don't know. I'm, I'm saying other people are looking into other things and apologet- under the umbrella as an academic discipline. Mm-hmm. What is apologetics and what? How, how do we need to engage the culture? In, and there is a shift away from classical apologetics. So I, I don't think it's large. Uh, my argument is not large enough because it's not dealing with what the most people that if you're if you're not you but you're your age you're thirty late thirties right I don't even know how old you are. I'm I'm thirty th- I'm in my thirties <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm in my early forties you're in yeah. your late thirties yeah late add the word late say it <laughs> yeah. if you say it out loud it helps well I'm thirty seven. That's late thirties. Okay. Okay. So you're in your late thirties. So it's kind of let's mid say you're between, not you. It's mid between mid thirties and late thirties. Okay. So it's mid. So mid let's 30s. say you're Braxton Hunter, um, the the uh, the accountant okay. at um, what's that? Barry ne- Plastics. Never gonna ha- never gonna happen. But go ahead. Right. Too much you math. Can't, you're right. Um, but you work at Barry Plastics, and okay. you're a thirty-seven year old man. Okay. Right. You're not going to run into when let's say you're a churchgoer and you're interested in evangelism. You're not going to run into an atheist as nearly as often as you're just going to run into somebody who is religious but not or spiritual but not religious, right? Yeah, I think. Well, at Barry Plastics, we got some real dudes, you know. So probably some cultural Christians who may not actually be Christians. Okay. So what? So for you, and I agree. Uh-huh. And I make that distinction. You should really join Ecclesiastes College Society and read my articles. Fantastic. Other than core facts, maybe, uh, at least the second half of it. Uh-huh. Um, what am I going to do with these people? What, what, what has apologists done for you to equip you to talk to the guys at Barry Plastics who, who, who four, five, and ten, five out of ten may be cultural Christians, one in point uh, five, you know, is going to be either a, you know one will be a nun, one will be uh, you might either you know point five are going to be an atheist. It doesn't matter or, what they are. Yeah. I'm just going to go to them in, in conversation. I'm going to try to determine what does this person believe. Yeah, I'm going to react. That wasn't my question. I okay. Said, what are the apologists? Who are the apologists that have equipped you to deal with that person who is? Uh, spiritual but not religious. I mean, I, you want me to name one apologist? Yeah, and what what what, what Douglas Grudhaus, Donald J. Johnson, uh, Donald J. Johnson. Okay. What was his his book? Um, How, How to, to talk, talk to, to a skeptic. skeptic. Mm-hmm. Okay. A skeptic of what? Well, it doesn't matter because that's not. I wasn't thinking of the book particularly, although the book would be helpful. Because because using his method, what you would do with anybody is you just say to them, how do you answer the major questions of life? Yeah. So Listen when you were me. at New Orleans, and I know we got to wrap up, but when you were in New Orleans, Craig Hazen, um, yeah, he, he spoke. He loved Craig Hazen. He was yeah. the guy in charge of the he's in charge of yeah. the apologetics. There's an apologist who knows how to talk to a crowd. Yeah, Craig Hazen's awesome. Okay, but he said mm-hmm. something that I actually disagree with. Um, he and he said it before in other speeches where he does that. Uh, speech where he, he starts going about, you know, the old Josh McDowell apologetic where you would do this, that, and the other. And you, you remember what I, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Said, and that doesn't actually is effective anymore. Mm-hmm. I disagree. And, and this is why you, as an evangelist, have grabbed the, the cumulative case approach like Don Johnson, the old Josh McDowell, let's put as many things in a bucket as we can, and brought that back. It's a, you disagree with Craig Hazen, because, and I disagree with Craig on this. He says a lot of, I love it when he crushes Mormons and everything else, but I do disagree with him on this, because I think that old Josh McDowell cumulative case thing, where you just start throwing everything in buckets, I think that, I, which apologists now say is dated and not relevant, <clears throat> is probably what you and Don Johnson well, I don't know have what, found to be the most effective I don't know thing. what Craig Hazen's beef is, but I know... He the doesn't typical, have a beef, he's well, just kind of saying... But I know, know the typical criticism of the of the cumulative case it has to do with buckets, and it's they're saying each argument is like a leaky bucket, and it doesn't hold water. So putting a whole bunch of leaky buckets together doesn't make the arguments any better because you're not giving these big, robust arguments that you're going to defend like Craig or somebody would. 
Um, I think you can use the good part of Donald J. Johnson's uh, setup and still use the classical arguments there. But you st- I still don't really know what you're asking. I think you're that, asking me I think that if I'm talking to a person who's spiritual but not religious. And I, yeah. I hear you saying that they don't really know what they believe. Define, yeah. Ask them what is. Ask them to define their beliefs, and what they really are is yeah. that they're, they're they're libertine pagans who just don't want Christianity well, to burden okay. their lifestyle. Then, if the person's not interested in seeking truth, then all you can do is just give them proclamation evangelism. Just tell them the truth and and pray for them, and tell them that you're available if they'd ever like to talk about the intellectual reasons. But if it's an intellectual reason why they're not, if they're claiming it's an intellectual reason, then you, you provide evidence. I don't, I don't know what's, I don't get it. Like, why? So what you're saying is apologists, the reason why they don't focus on this type of stuff, which is the majority of people that normal people are like. I don't know that they don't. Is because it's, it, it, their apologists, apologists just simply has nothing to say to them. Is that what you're, I think it does. I think well, that the sure old Josh does. McDowell. I, I, you're talking, the, you, I, part of your thing was. Leaky buckets is better than no bucket. No, part of your thing so, was they're pagans and they don't care. Okay, well, if they're pagans and they don't care, then apologetics is going to be ineffective for them because you have to care. You have to want to know the truth. Well, no, I mean they care about the reasons. They're just they're just so irrational reasons. Well, okay, so, if they if they know. care about the reasons, now that's a different person. Well, of course, they care about the reasons because their reasons give them permission to live however they want, right? Yeah. But if it's I'm saying if it's a if it's a pearls before swine type of thing, like they don't care what you're offering. Pearls before swine is do, responding to Richard Dawkins. How much swine can you get to than Richard Dawkins? He doesn't even understand our arguments. He doesn't. Atheists don't even take him seriously anymore. I'm not, I'm not and, saying. I'm and not, look how many people think Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and all. No, the good things. reason to respond to Richard yeah. Dawkins is because then you'll be. If you're responding to Richard Dawkins, you're on a platform where there's a bunch of other people watching. That's why you should respond to Richard Dawkins. But I'm saying if you're talking interpersonally with someone and they don't care, and you know that they they're not open minded well, at I, all no, to I, this. I'm saying. I'm then saying. You pray for that, him and you preach at him. A, a internet, to internet YouTube atheism is the biggest gathering of swine there is, right? I mean, they they have no desire to. You hear. heard it here first. Yes, <laughs> if we're going to talk about casting pearls before swine, yeah, that is the biggest gathering of swine who don't who will not accept anything any apologist ever says. Uh, okay. Period. Then, Does it matter? Do you talk about so closed off? At least the, I'm. Uh, spiritual, not religious, will actually talk about spirituality, even if they make no sense. Where do you think we disagree? Huh? Where do you suspect we disagree? I don't know. You just said something about casting pearls before swine, and I'm telling you that it, 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 atheism is the biggest... Do you think I... Do- atheism is the biggest pool of swine on... There are a lot. There are who a lot. don't want to hear anything. Of, who don't look? Here's not a, all atheists. I, I think, not all atheists. Right. I'm saying I think, atheists in general. But see, here's the thing. I especially think, on the internet. Okay, I'm and a, yet apologists spend all of their time arguing with them. Okay, but here's the thing. I think honestly, this is part of the problem that I have with this yeah. thesis. Is I'm not trying to be like courteous by saying not all atheists. The point is, we're talking about these big swaths of people, Generation yeah. Z. Millennials are like this. Generation Z is like this. Atheists on the internet are like this. Yeah, and it's fine. Spiritualist people are like this. And people know that... that but they're not... People are people. And yeah. there are some absolute jerks who are atheists, and there are a lot of people that aren't. There yeah, are, but I'm talking there about are jerks people who, are who don't want to hear your arguments. And there they are just want to argue to hear themselves argue. You brought up. Don't talk to those pearl. people. You're, yeah, but apologists spend too much time talking. No, to those no, people. have the have the answers for them, and and talk with them long enough to present that and present the gospel. But if they just don't care, then then you're just gonna be tick them off and shut the door on somebody. It's like a microcosm of this is like Trinity Radio primetime discussion. We have Calvinists yeah. there. We have non-Calvinists there. Yeah. We talk about a lot of things besides Calvinism with Calvinists yeah. and non-Calvinists. And what do you, know you hear? Who does not spend all their time arguing Calvinism with those people is Braxton Hunter. Yeah, but you know what's in, we, yeah. I mean, what's interesting is are you saying all of those people? I, I mean, I'm just using it as an example. All of the people who come to there, I'm just wondering who's going to get the swine label next. Are, no, I'm scared. They're, they're, no, I'm, what I'm saying is <laughs> you talk to the Calvinists and the non-Calvinists yeah. both posting in our forum. Yeah, and they have left forums. Like, you know, the Reformed... Nobody knows those forums. Other forums. Other forums where it's either rah-rah, we love Calvinism, or rah-rah, we hate Calvinism, and people are like, yeah, we've been on this mouse wheel for so long, we're sick of it. 
and they just don't care anymore. Why debate something that we've nobody's ever saying anything new, and it's just the same stuff over and over, and everyone's acrimonious. And, and at some point, they're like, yeah, we're not going to have this conversation anymore. And I, actually, I think that's kind of a good thing. And my, my whole point is apologists... Yeah. I want more apologists working on a different set of problems, like the problems that most people are going to ask about, than the problems they're working on. That, that that's all I'm saying. And read the article for all of the, you know. I'm all for people reading that. the argument. I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out. You're saying, I, first of all, you don't think we have resources. You don't think that apologists are working on this problem. I don't think enough. I don't think enough apologists are working on the problem in proportion to the number of people that should be addressed as opposed to the disproportionate number of apologists addressing the smallest number of people that typical folks in church are likely to encounter. Well, I don't disagree. I mean, we spent the whole last season handling other worldviews, and you can hardly name a worldview we didn't cover. Right, and throw all those people in the bucket is 5% of the... <clears throat> okay, so we, so, okay, so you're saying we shouldn't be responding as much to atheists or those people. I'm we saying, should be responding primarily to Christians and spiritualists. I'm saying <laughs> questions that people, that most people that are, are likely... No, I mean, like I said, there, there's a, a thing where you say, oh, so we should never talk to atheists. No, we never, should never talk... Right, I, I was right, cautious. No, no, I know, but that's how people respond, typically respond. Okay, I'm not responding like right. that. Right, uh, and that's not what I... I may, that's You're saying not, not as much. I'm saying th there needs to be more in proportion to the, the, the people, and you apply that to any demographic. Okay, so, so if you're in certain foreign nations, the same principle is going to apply. The majority of apologetics needs to, to, to address the concerns where the in majority of the culture is at. Right. Period, and I don't see that in apologetics. And if we're setting the standards, so what's the what in group? American apologetics? Name the group. Huh? What group should we be focusing on? Well, the the largest sappy Christians who might not really be Christians. That and nuns. Okay. The the what what's I would that call spiritual pagans, atheists who believe in God, <laughs> not, uh, people who believe that there's some quasi force like. Star Wars. So look at the Pew Research. Where are most people? And then you look at the apologetics material. Where are they spending a lot of their resources addressing? And there's a... there's a. Are there a lot of people identify as nuns who are actually atheists or agnostics? No. I think agnostics and atheists are bold enough to just say, I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic. So what, so what are they? So at the most, it's... You're telling me we should be focusing on nuns. I think nuns. that about... Who is that? I, th I think, uh, well, that, that's the work we need to do. And I think that's the work that the, the people in pastoral ministry that studies. So we don't know. Uh, pastoral ministry types that, you know, people who write, you know, for pastors and things like that. That's the code they've been trying to, to break. Because nominal Christianity has been with us since the church started, right? So we, there's always going to be that. And in the U.S., 78% of people identify as some sort of Christian tradition. So you can break that up. They're not probably all, they're, you know, more... I don't even know that they're more culturally Christian. We don't know who's born again and evangelical speak and who's not. But let's 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 so let's, what I let's hear you saying a is guess that a lot of them aren't right. So let's just assume that a lot of them aren't. And then the next biggest group is that ten to twelve percent that identify themselves as nuns. We don't want to be. Okay. Some of those people might actually be belong to the other seven. Okay, but what I hear you saying, what I hear you saying is, don't focus on atheists to the exclusion or Muslims to the or other world religions to the exclusion of the biggest problem we have of non-Christianity, whatever it is, in this country. And, and nominal, we don't know what it is. We need to figure it out. So we don't know what to tell you right now. But uh, but we also just need a bunch of evangelists. I'll tell you what it is. Just preaching to the, it, it, to the unconverted Christians. Yeah. Uh, the cultural Christians. Right. You know, but you know. So put that aside. We do need, a, a, we need more harvest evangelists going out and doing that and personal evangelists. And, but 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 also among one of apologists. The, but again, uh like your your the thing that you want to work on. One of the things that would help with nominalism is if apologetics if your thesis is correct and that apologetics can bolster the confidence level and increase one's personal faith. Okay, let's say that that's true. For the sake of argument, if that's it's true, true, then apologetics does have something to say to the nominalism problem within the church, and you know these cultural Christians who, 
maybe show up for Easter and Christmas and whatever else, right? Those types. Um, and so incorporating Well, I think now I agree with you. Yeah. I think you talked yourself around to a position that I agree with. So if we just, if we, if we focus on discipleship apologetics. Yeah, it's not just a don't. Then we will prevent people from becoming nuns and we will bolster the faith of the cultural Christian, yeah. the nominal well, Christian. Yeah, but it's 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 not a just don't just you characterize don't just focus on atheists and people of other religions as the first part. That's part of it for apologists. But the second part of it is actually more apologists need to refocus <laughs> on the largest demographics that they're likely to encounter in the real world, <laughs> as in opposed America, to in the Western in world. The, well, in in the U.S. U.S. Mm-hmm. apologists now, and then we need to set a standard that most apologetic resources are geared to the largest groups of people that need to be addressed, and then that can be applied differently. But if American apologetics are leading the this golden age, what you have is you have. of our apologetics focused on maybe 5% of the population. Well, all right. Uh, Check out the sister podcast that we have, uh, The Bible Brodown, The Narrow Path, and Soteriology 101. Also, uh, talk to us about becoming a student at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. You can check us out at Trinity Sim, Trinity S-E-M dot E-D-U, or you can call us at 1-800-457-5510. We would love to talk to you. Just go to the website, and on the right-hand side of the page, you'll see what we call the evaluation form. I think it says request more information. And check that out. Watch a great little video of me talking about how awesome Trinity is. Become and a patron. You can also and become a patron. pay for things like here. Yeah, click new- somewhere up here around my head here somewhere and uh, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash trinity radio for those of you listening by audio patreon.com slash trinity radio it sounds like we have a lot of patrons and we do but you know and we appreciate all of them if you give a dollar we appreciate that however uh, just because you have a lot of patrons doesn't mean that represents a lot of money and so we we have things we want to accomplish we want to make the show better and we don't expect that from you but we do appreciate it All right, uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, Dr. Bridget's going to go figure out what the nuns believe, and we'll report back next time on Trinity Radio. If you would like more content, click here. And keep watching Bible Studies, click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers, so click here.